morning, everyone. I'm Deb Stevenson, and I'm going to be reading scripture today. And our reading today is from the Good News According to John, chapter 11, verses 1 to 45. And to quote Jerry, all of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, Though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, 
the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, disturbed came to the tube, tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength, our rock in the weary land. Amen. So today, I want to talk about death. I actually don't want to talk about death. But here in today's scripture, the topic is unavoidable. Death casts a shadow over the whole thing. Jesus receives word that his friend Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is the brother of a couple of his other friends slash disciples, Mary Magdalene and Martha. His sisters send Jesus a note urgently pleading for him to come before it's too late to heal their brother. 
to save him from imminent death. For reasons not entirely explained, Jesus decides to take his time in getting here, and when he arrives, it's four days late. And his sister, Martha, points out that there is a stench in the tomb. I mean, I prefer how the King James Version puts it. It stinketh. point being, of course, that Lazarus' body has already begun to decay, so it's too late for Jesus to work those healing powers at this point. What's most striking in this scene, though, is the level of grief. Grief is at a 10 in this scene. It's, it's brutal. It's terrible. Martha's mad. If only you'd been there, Jesus, she says. You could have done something if only you'd been Here, Jesus, my brother, would still be alive. I mean, it's not a rare thing for to have grief expressed as anger. In fact, it's, in my own experience, it's rather common to express grief. And Lazarus' other sister, Mary, she's crushed too, and she doesn't even come to see Jesus initially. She just stays home. I mean, imagine her kind of just pulling the blankets over her head and kind of hoping that it'll stop the tears. Somehow... And when she finally does come, she collapses at Jesus' feet with the same accusation her sister leveled at him. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. Not only does she, she cry, but a whole cadre of friends who are with her are crying too. This is a completely devastating event. Now, none of this is surprising exactly because if you've loved, lost, ever lost someone you deeply love too soon, you'll know the exact feeling of devastation. You'll know that death has its own sting to it. It's not surprising that everybody in this scene would be weeping. What's actually surprising in this scene, though, what's actually surprising in this scene is Jesus. Jesus is surprising in this scene. When Jesus sees all of this utter sadness on display, we're told that he's greatly disturbed in spirit. He's deeply moved, we're told. Other translations say he groaned in spirit and that a deep anger welled up inside of him. Then there's the shortest verse in all of the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is surprising because isn't somebody like Jesus not supposed to give in to emotions like this? He's supposed to be the Son of God. If anybody should be stoic, if anybody should be faithful, if there's anybody who shouldn't be distraught at this moment and encouraging, it's Jesus. And yet, and yet, he too joins in on the grief. The Son of Man too feels the anger and the pain at the loss of his friend. In the face of death, we're told that Jesus wept. And it's surprising. It's surprising. Often interpreters will say that this is an example of divine sympathy. Divine sympathy, which is true. Which is true, because God isn't pure reason or some abstraction who is unaffected by our plight. God is spirit, doesn't literally have tears, But God is sympathetic. God is sympathetic. 
God cares for and is moved by the suffering of her creatures. God cries out of sympathy. But it's also more than just sympathy. It's the anger that is the most surprising, isn't it? I mean, God created the world, you're God's son, so what you so mad at, Jesus? Well, the answer, what Jesus is mad at, is death. Jesus is angry at death. The fourth century church father, John Chrysostom, not sure if I've ever said that right, first time I've ever said it aloud, he said in one sermon that here Jesus is angry and distressed at the power of death in the world. Jesus is not only sympathetic towards us, God is righteously angry to the verge of tears at death itself. Now, to be clear, we're not just talking about the fact of dying in of itself. I mean, we're creatures. We are not God. We're created as mortals, which means that we die. Death is a part of who we are, and it's what, something that defines us as human. There isn't much to be mad about if you die in your mid-90s after a good life surrounded by family. There's sadness, there's fear, yes, but anger, not so much. But Jesus is mad at death. Because you see, the Bible understands death as more than just a fact of life. It understands death as a power, one at work in our world alongside sin, as a supernatural force that holds sway over our lives, one that strikes fear, that oppresses, that causes havoc, a power that isn't natural, but a fear and a driver that entered the world through our own human brokenness and unfaithfulness. It looms so large that the Apostle Paul calls it the final enemy to be defeated. Death is not simply a fact of human existence, but a reality actively working against God's intentions for the world. Jesus isn't just angry about the fact of death. What angers Jesus is death's power to cause suffering and sadness and fear and destruction. That's what he's so mad about. And it's a hard thing to think about in our culture because death for us is so hidden and it's avoided, even denied outright. Unlike prior generations, some of us can go our whole lives without seeing a dead person, let alone touching a dead person. More and more obituaries read, no service by request. Folks aren't even gathering to talk about the person who has died. I met a 40-something-year-old woman um, on the set of a film, uh, but I, uh, anyway, I'll tell you about that later uh, in my acting days, um, who'd never seen, been to a funeral before in her entire life, 40-something years old. Either nobody she'd been close to ever died or she did a lot of avoiding of invitations. And I read about a woman who works as a death midwife, someone who helps people deal with their final stages of life, and she said that they don't talk about death or dying, it's just a, quote, transition into another way of being. None of which, of course, acknowledges how much death sucks. 
None of it acknowledges how terrible death is or can be. Just a transition, it is a break that can be traumatic and distressing. Because some of us know exactly how Mary and Martha felt when their brother died, a parent, a spouse, a good friend, or a son, a daughter, a tragedy, an accident, a suicide. Some of us have been there by Lazarus' tomb. Same tears, same anger, and it's not a transition that we've experienced. To borrow a phrase from our scripture, it stinketh. It's not good. Or we could think about the terror of COVID, at least when it was first around, images of coffins piled up in Italy waiting for burial. Think of the fear, the anxiety about dying, or worse, causing somebody else's death. It almost never occurred to some of us that it would actually happen to this point. It not only drove our personal actions, it drove the actions and policies of governments around the world for good and for ill. Or think about all of our anxieties about what kind of future we've got for ourselves and our kids, political instability, climate change, all of our fears are rooted in death. Or think about what death causes us to do to each other. There's a story about the late Iraqi strongman Saddam Hussein when he held a dinner for all of his closest compatriots and began to announce one after the other that each of them was going to be executed. And he expected, of course, that the ones that were still around would do the executing out of fear that they would be next if they didn't. Whether it's lobbing rockets at Ukraine or now malnourishing students in residential schools or sticking around in an abusive relationship because we have nowhere else to go, our fear of death drives us to do all sorts of things that we wouldn't otherwise. Death is as much a source of sorrow as much as a power, as much a power in our lives as it's ever been. Again, it stinketh. And that's what infuriates Jesus. Jesus, his tears express the pain that death causes human life. Your pain, your sorrow, the cries of our world. Death is indeed an enemy, not only yours and mine, but an enemy of the living God, the final enemy of the creator of all. This is what? Jesus weeps over the power of death. Jesus weeps with those who weep. But that's not all, of course. I mean, it's one thing to weep with somebody who weeps, and it's another to do something about it. According to John, this enemy that causes us so much havoc, so much heartache, this ancient cosmic enemy has actually been overcome. The enemy has been overcome, and it's really no contest 
according to the scriptures. Surrounded by a crowd of grievers, Jesus stands at the mouth of the tomb. He closes his eyes. He prays for his friend claimed by death. And then he has them roll away the stone. He has them roll away the stone and he stands before the tomb, peering into the dark abyss. From there, he calls out to his friend in a loud voice, Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out. He that was dead comes forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes like a wrapped mummy. He kind of scoots, you know, you see the picture there. He kind of scoots out into the daylight. Loose him, Jesus says. Loose him and let him go. And they do. And I mean, if you read ahead, you know, soon Lazarus is back sitting at the supper table as good as new. I mean, it's pretty incredible if you ask me. It's pretty incredible. I've never seen anything like that. But as in the case of all of the other stories that we've kind of been reading in Lent with John, from Nicodemus to the woman at the well to the man born blind and now Lazarus, there's, there's always more than meets the eye to what's happening. There's a deeper point that is being conveyed even by these great signs of power. It's always more than just a one-off miracle. We're not supposed to just listen to it and be like, wow, that is amazing. Uh, whoa, that was pretty sweet. Uh, when's the next one? Um, that's not what we're supposed to do. It's not a magic trick. He's not resuscitating a corpse. Here Jesus demonstrates that he is the same word, the same voice that spoke the universe into being. The one that said, let there be light, and there was. Here Jesus is demonstrating that he is the light of the world. He's demonstrating his lordship over all things, even the death of his friend Lazarus. Not only that, though, but in preaching Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus gives a sneak preview of Easter. This is a sneak preview of what he himself will do on the cross and rising from the tomb three days later. He's demonstrating here he is, as he told his sister Martha, the resurrection and the life. He's demonstrating not only his power over this one death, but his power over all death. That on the cross, death itself is thrown down and defeated, and that nothing, not even the gates of hell, can prevail against Jesus. Nothing on earth or in heaven above can stand in his way. This enemy that causes us so much havoc, our world so much heartache and destruction, in Jesus Christ, this ancient cosmic enemy has been overcome. The point of this whole episode is to point out that death Ain't got nothing on Jesus. Death has been defeated once and for all. Death has been thrown down. The enemy has been beat. You know that song, I get knocked down, but I get up again? Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that none of us will ever die. 
I mean, Lazarus himself doesn't live forever. We don't, like, see him down at Pita Pit, you know, ordering a falafel one day and be like, there's Lazarus, still ticking after all these years. I mean, Lazarus eventually dies again in the story. It's clear that each of us is mortal. One day, each of us will die. And there will be tragedies and heartaches and pain And that is the way it is until the last day. But it does mean that all the worries that drive us, the great challenges of our time and our greater losses, none of them are final. We may be in Lent, but Easter's always set in the calendar. Easter always comes, whether we like it or not. It means that the power that death holds over us, the great shadow that looms all over, over all of creation, is not ultimate. Life has been detonated in its midst, and death is in retreat. It means that all that binds your life, like Lazarus, has been broken. It means that you no longer have to have your life dictated by fear. It means that you, that we, don't have to let all of our decisions be dictated by despair, you can stop looking out for just yourself and you can stop letting everybody and everything take a back seat to the bottom line. It means you can weep and you can rage and you can hurt and you can rail against all the unfairness and the justice like Jesus, but you can do so knowing that in the end is music. You can do so knowing that you take comfort, you can find courage, you can find hope that joy cometh with the dawn, that the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, that the winter may be long, but in the end, you just can't hold back spring. So, Lazarus, come out. Terry, Come out. Nancy, come out. David, come out. Carolyn, come out. Hope, come out. Curtis, come out. Norman, come out. Keith, come out. Kara, come out. Rosemary, come out. Insert your name here. Come out. Come out of the tomb of darkness and death and step into the marvelous light of eternal life in Christ. Believe in him and live. I offer you it to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.